This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new, used, or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. There's one thing that a racing engine and a straight engine have in common. You want them both to last. Haviland Formula 3 from Texaco. To build a race engine that holds up, you have to use the best of everything. And Haviland does that job. No other leading motor oil offers more complete protection to help your car run better, last longer. Good enough for Robert Yates. Haviland Formula 3. Why add just any motor oil? Add more life to your car. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your host, Robert. For this evening. Actually, every time this show comes on the air. Hey, Bill, how you doing? You see ya. Bill, are you there? Hello, Bill. You there? (laughs) I'm in the middle. They got me in the middle, man. They They got got, you in the middle. They got me in the middle again. Billy in the middle. Anyway, hey, hey, run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. And we're live here in the studio. Is the switch on, Billy? Yep, switches on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, and go run to your computer also while you're doing that. Open up another window and Google GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Check that out. Go to our stuff page. Sign up for a shirt and a uh, decal, of course. Go to Facebook. Like us on Facebook. You know, Since we're kind of getting into the social networking thing, I guess we all have to do that these days. But anyway, hey, just to bring you up to speed, last weekend we had... Of course, the last two weekend, two weeks, two shows, we had some winners on the radio show for a Grand Funk Railroad ticket. So last weekend at the Mahaffey Theater, we got to see live, in person, Grand Funk Railroad. Super, super concert. They did a pretty good job. So anyway, Billy, you should have been there. At any rate, um, what do we got going on? We have some other stuff going on here. Uh, don't forget the end of the month, which is uh, next weekend, is the Clearwater Superboat Nationals Offshore Powerboat Race right here in downtown Clearwater in our own backyard, right down by Coachman Park. So that's uh, Friday is the big gala when it starts, and they'll be bringing the boats in, and they'll have a street party, and they got Blast Friday. So our friends over at Ruth Eckert Hall are putting on the uh, Blast Friday event. And matter of fact, I think... Um, Le- is that a is that a tugboat? <laughs> That's good. I like that. Foghorn. We need a foghorn too while we're at it. Not foghorn, Leghorn. Foghorn. Actually, foghorn, Leghorn would be funny too. We could do that. But at any rate, so we've got uh, the uh, Atlanta Rhythm Section is going to be the band that's going to be performing live. At any rate. So uh, come check that out. So basically, the Friday night is the big gala. They got the meet and greet thing and the big social event and stuff like that. And then the next day on Saturday, they're going to have the seafood festival down there, and then they're going to have people running around, and you'll be able to meet the guys that uh, pilot the boats and the co-drivers and the sponsors and all that stuff. They'll be down there as well. So it's a pretty good event. And then Sunday's the day of the race, and there's two races. And usually the way they do it is they'll have you can see from the beach, obviously, and they're going to be. Hundreds, hundreds of boats out in the water, okay? It's mapped out. It runs along Clearwater Beach in front of Pier 60. If you have the fortunate opportunity to get tickets and you win them on the show, okay, I will have some tickets, and I'll uh, give those away next week. I will have probably two sets of tickets for the Clearwater Superboat races, so you'll get to go out on the end of the pier, Pier 60, which is a great place to watch the race. You get uh, probably within 100 feet of the boats or less, actually 50 feet, I think, depending on how close they get to the pier. 
And it's a great place to take pictures. So that should be a real, real, real fun event. But anyway, the first boat race, I think it's at 10 o'clock, and then they run for an hour or so. Then they take a break, and then the second batch of boats go out at 12 o'clock. And then at 1 o'clock or 1.30, they're over. They head to back to Coachman Park. They're loading the boats up, and then in the evening, they have the awards ceremony. Okay, so, oh, yeah, also, our friends, Alan Gillibreth, uh, with Billaproof, okay, and Billaproof, go check them out. Go Google Billaproof, B-I-L-L-E-T, proof, okay? It's kind of like a really cool, old-school, hardcore, pre-1965 hot rod organization. It's based out of Sacramento, California, and they do two events a year here in Florida. They do a number of events around the country, um, but what they do is they do a vintage drag uh, gig, and that will be at the Lakeland Motorsports Park on the 21st of next month. So October 21st at Lakeland Motorsports Park, Billproof Drags, Vintage Cars. It'd be cool. We were out there last year and and the year before. It's pretty cool. Also, what they do in the springtime, in the spring they'll have an event at uh, Don Garlitz where probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cool old vintage hot rods show up there. Now, keep in mind, it's old school style hot rods, So, and the reason they call it Billproof is because they don't want to see any late model billet aluminum goodies on your car. It's got to be basically boneyard parts. Okay, and the rat rod scene—that's kind of in, which is uh, kind of like hot rod taken to another dimension. But at any rate, hey, we got what do we got queued up on the turn 'em up table. Okay, we got a cool old sixty psychedelic song coming up for you, and we have a great guest for you later this evening. So we gave you a clue at the beginning of the show. All right, sit tight, guys. We'll be right back. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. 
Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Celebrating the American dream on nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, we're back. Yes, we are. We're live. Hey, a couple announcements real quick. Go check out Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection down in Pinellas Park if you need your cool little inboard boat worked on or your hot rod. Okay, give them a call down there at 727-544-6440. Okay, and if you need a squad car or a law enforcement vehicle, uh, an SUV or a van or a truck or a four-wheel drive, give my friends down there, John and Mark, at uh, Cop Cars Online, a call, 727-536-2677. And, of course, if you're looking at the video, if you're watching this on the Internet, you can see my amazing, stunning, beautiful banner that I have behind me featuring our amazing 57 Thunderbird gas on here. And if you would like a banner that looks just as good as that one, or signs, or decals, give my friend Dougie at the sign shop a call. His number is 727-392-4852. And I guess that pretty much uh, takes care of all our announcements and stuff like that. Hey, Billy, what's up? Well, go ahead and roll that uh, next commercial. Let's get our guests on the line because... uh this guy's a very, very fascinating gentleman. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail just yet, but when I get him on, you guys will certainly recognize the name. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. say something, ladies and gentlemen, uh, something uh, that I think is very important, is that 
you, we, we own this country. It's not you owning it and not politicians owning it. Politicians are employees of ours. And uh, they're just going to come around and beg for votes every few years, and it's the same old deal. But I just think that uh, it's important that you realize that you're the best in the world. And uh, whether you're Democrat or whether you're a Republican or whether you're Libertarian or whatever, you're the best, and we should not ever forget that. And we, when somebody does not do the job, we've got to let them go. Okay, we're back, and we hope you enjoyed that, the song, and the little clip from Clint Eastwood. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a legendary engine builder in the NASCAR world, as well as a former NASCAR Cup team owner. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening the legendary, the great, a Ford guy at heart, Robert Yates. Robert, are you there? I am here. How you doing? Happy to be here. Well, very good. I thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, visit us here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So tell us a little bit about your early days, how you kind of got into racing and cars, and uh, what kind of got you got you going. You know, I just, as far as just love working on cars, I started that when I was, you know, a kid building you know, go-kart out of uh, lawnmower engines and what have you. And it's just something I always had a passion for, and, and I just grew up. And, I, you know, I did mechanic work and went to every school I could go to to, to learn more about it. And uh, the ninth kid out of a family with preachers and teachers in it, and I wanted to be a mechanic. And uh, I loved the, uh, that just taking things apart, putting them back together, and hot-riding Engines and cars, and and I grew up, and that's what I loved to do as a as a kid. And then, uh, and then I ended up working, you know, in the service stations. And then I, got, I worked on heavy equipment bulldozers. And then I got the opportunity to work at Home of Moody, go there in 1967, when uh, Ford was uh, racing against the Chrysler thing in such a huge way. And boy, that was a great uh, uh, education there, and uh, that got me on the. Uh, I guess the professional level very well in the, in the building engines and cars. Now, when you were younger, when you were a teenager and stuff, did you have a, what was like your first hot rod did you have or your first car? I mean, was it a hot rod? First or was car, 57 Chevrolet. Really? Chevrolet, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I've worked on some Chevrolets, too. Now, a lot of people think I'm a Ford guy, but actually when, uh, when Ford and Chrysler went home, uh, I, I went to... Got ran short most people. I said we got to have Chevrolet. And he said how we do that. And I said well, I've got one. I race on the weekends, and I mean you know short tracks. And we built one at Junior Johnson's, and that was the white car that uh, was the first Chevrolet in the modern time. I built those engines uh, 1971 for 100 bucks, and we ran all year with with out of the crate 427. Uh, you know, against the Hemis. Of course, we had a little bit of advantage in the plate, but uh, that's really... So I worked on Chevrolets when uh, Ford wasn't in the picture, and then I came back when Ford, you know, got back in the picture, and, uh, and I've been with Ford. Uh, even now, I do some of the K&N engines. I actually run that program, uh, which is a Chevrolet-based LS motor. When you were younger, though, um, you were involved in drag racing, too, a little bit, weren't you? Well, kind of. I, I made a living. I never could... You know when they talk about now about borrowing money stuff. I never could borrow any money, but I could I could always make money uh, working on the rich kids' cars. Uh huh. And so the rich kids would bring me their cars, and I'd hot rod them, and then I'd afford to buy me some parts for my car. And and if I wasn't drag racing on the street, I was at a drag strip, and that's really that's how I made. I always had a money in my pocket because I was always working on cars. I'd have I always wanted a garage because I worked. You know, without a garage for a good while, and uh, and did engine hot riding and cams, and they they nicknamed me in high school two seventy for the dunt off cam. So uh, a little bit Chevrolet there. Okay, that's cool. Now, when you were younger, um, did you? I mean, how how was it back? Now you're from Charlotte, correct? That area, correct. Right, so you, grew up right in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
Okay. So back in the days, I mean, when you know, in the fifties and sixties and stuff, and and was there a lot of camaraderie, regardless of whether you had Ford or Chevrolet or Chrysler, or was it just uh, was there always that kind of little bit of tension between the uh, the car brand guys? Oh, always. I mean, it, it was you know back then, you, September day when they unveiled the new Ford, the new Chevrolet, that was the biggest thing that happened in a year, <laughs> except for Christmas or something in uh-huh. you know, the holidays. But uh, that was. Um, you know, I just grew up with that, you know, uh, working on both of them. And I have a lot of stories. Uh, the guy that actually is the CEO at Ford now, I tell him a lot of those stories about how uh, between a Chevrolet, what, how they engineered their cars and how Ford engineered theirs. And uh, and he listened to me quite a bit and promised me he was going to do a lot better job with Ford. He's doing a great job with the Ford, Alan Mulally. Oh, Alan, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, now, now, when you you started in Mahoma and Moody, was that the first real like speed shop, race shop, performance shop, or kind of like organization you ever got involved with, or was there anybody prior to that? No, I you know I'd worked in service stations, and, I, and a friend of mine we we worked on we hot rod and get the honest Charlie catalog, and then we we did a lot of hot rod and drag racing, but not on professional level. All you know in a two car garage. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was my friend had a garage, but I did a lot in my yard, and uh, and then I, you know, worked at uh, service stations and a, and a hop curb, and I flipped hamburgers and anything to keep keep my car running. And uh, but I was I love cars, and I keep going and on. I was always working on a car. And when did your big uh, break happen that you got uh, tied in with uh, Home and Moody? You know, I. I it took me a few years to really figure out how things happened, and I tell people this now. I thought that I just sort of wandered around and just wanted to be a mechanic, and I was just lucky that that uh, I got this phone call from Home and Moody and said, hey, we, we want to offer you a job. Would you come see us? And, uh, and the reason I got that, uh, I tell you what, and I, I'm very embarrassing as far as my education because I work. I mean, I hot-rodded. Didn't do my homework, failed a lot of tests, almost dropped out of school. I have a missionary sister that came home from uh, a foreign land in one year, and she said, come live with me. Charlotte, please, had taken my license away for the fourth and last time. Said, never going to give them back to me again. Um, so out of the first four years, I was supposed to have a license. I had them about four months. <laughs> I had a lot of, I mean, they always chased me on everything and always felt like they were after me. And, and it, for a while, they're out random until uh, they got the you know, radios in the cars. <laughs> okay. And then they started coming to the house and get you. So I loved, I mean, I didn't kill anybody that I know of, and I didn't, but I love hot riding and going fast. I mean, I was just nut. As a driver, I went to school with Buddy Baker, and I and he would take me in my '57 Chevrolet and do a hard left 90 degree turn like you know NASCAR, and tell me how to slide through that corner. And I'd do a bootleg at uh, 65 miles an hour, turn around an eight feet wide road, and then <laughs> we used to we used to just you know go out and cut up and that. And he always said, "Come go to the racetrack," but I worked all the time. I worked every day of my life. Uh, at the service station, carried newspapers, or so I could afford my hot rod in my car. And I was just a nut. I was, I was probably eating up with uh, just love working on cars. When you uh, going back to like Buddy Baker, who are some of the other guys that were um, that are well known names that you kind of hung around with? Let's say as teenagers before they were famous race car drivers and stuff. I, I worked on Don Garlis drag car when I was about fourteen, thirteen or fourteen. He was in Charlotte, some racing, and he needed some welding done. And uh, so Lee Weir and myself went down to Sinclair Station and, and uh, did some work for him. And we didn't, I mean, you know, I mean, that was a big name. And, of course, you know, there was a lot of drag racing going on back then. And we had some pretty good organized street racing, but never, you know, never. After rolling on a few cars and stuff, we sort of. Well, that's why the cops are on us so hard. But I mean, we make cars go faster. But I tell you what, I, I, you know, I, I, we used to lower the back of the cars, and and this guy showed me how to lower the front of the car. The first car I ever saw with a front end lowered was a '49 Oldsmobile, and this guy drove in from California, 
and, and I hop curb, and I go to take his order to his car. I said, man, this is a strange-looking car. Why do you do this? He said, I'll show you. I'll bring my Corvette back in a little while, and I'll take you for a ride 160 miles an hour and down Independence Boulevard. And I got in this Corvette, and here we come down the road twice as fast as I've probably ever been, and the front end was lowered on it. And he said, that's what we do in California. But we've gotten cars at about 135 miles an hour. We're just starting to float around and dance all over the place. And uh, so what I do next, now I'm, I'm taking the lower box off the back and I'm lowering the front springs. So, <laughs> you know, I always had something to do. But uh, I, I, I was around for a lot of first things going on. Uh, I ran into Carolinas and, um, you know, I'd built a lot of transmissions for people. And uh, But professionally... My first real professional job was working on heavy equipment, bulldozers. I built bulldozers ground up. and uh, But anyway, I, the point I was going, my sister got me to go to school, and then I, I got hooked on a little bit, and I made straight A's my senior year, which was my second shot at my senior year. And I studied, no car. <laughs> you know, I'd take care of a couple of kids, but I had uh, nothing to do but study. And... Uh, so I made really good grades. I'm like, man, I can do this. So I went on to school for three more years of college. And then, of course, I got married and then dropped out of school. I wanted to finish. I joined the Army so I could get $30 a month to live on. But, uh, you know, that was my plan. But I uh, met this girl and we fell in love. And we got married. And I told her, I said, you know, I'll marry you, but if I drop out of school, I'll be a mechanic the rest of my life. And I'll promise you I'll be loyal to you and I'll work my butt off. And, and I think we'll... we'll but she said, that's fine. I, I love you for what, who you are. And I said, well, I'm a mechanic. And you know what? I've always been proud to be a mechanic. And uh, and I've, had, I've worked on some really great stuff. I've worked on every kind of engine under the sun. And the, the reason I got to call home Moody, they didn't really hire, didn't want engine guys that were like, you know, hey, I know a lot about engines. They wanted to take truck drivers and teach them how to build engines the way they wanted to. But they needed somebody <clears throat> that could do you know, they had some math, and when I interviewed for the job, it's like, ooh, I can do this easy. And it was the most fun job I've ever had, and I went from, I went, it was really a a, paying, a good paying job, a lot of hours, 100 hours a week, for a lot of weeks. Uh, the next four years, I paid, bought a house and paid for it in full, uh, which was rare. <clears throat> but, uh, so it really got me on a good uh uh, I got a good education, a great education, and I made good money. And it was all due to Ford Racing Chrysler, which was, uh, you know, it was 327 employees under, you know, a place we built all the Ford cars and all the engines. And I really ran the engine shop from one end to the other through all the machine shop stuff. So when, when uh, they did pull out of racing. John Holman wanted me to stay there and run his hobby shop, and uh, I'd build a dirt car and outran Ralph Earnhardt uh, every time we ran. He couldn't win a race when we were there running. And then we ended up building a Chevrolet for Junior. Uh, that was the white Chevrolet that Charlie Glassback drove in 71. We won a couple races. Then Bobby Allison drove the car in 72 and won 10 races. <clears throat> and that was really the, the comeback of Chevrolet. And I was all right in the grassroots of that. So, uh, but I got my education. Not that it was an education to build a Ford engine, but it was to build an engine. We built a lot of different kinds kinds of engines and and developed and built our own engine there at Home and Moody. So, it was a probably the best university anybody could ever go <clears throat> to that could. Uh, and I, so I came out of there and owned an engine shop at Junior Johnson's and Digard for ten years. Daryl Walter up and. I've had a wonderful opportunity and won a lot of races and and uh, got to work night and day, which I've always loved and wouldn't have, wouldn't take it back for anything. Of course, my son's hooked on it now. He does all the Ford engines for Roush Yates. So. Let me ask you a question. Back in the day when you were working at Holman Moody, Holman and Moody compared to, let's say, like the competitors, it's, it's competition, whether it's Petty Enterprises or what it was, whether it was, uh, you know, the General Motors version of it. How would you rank the mindset, the 
the the um, you know the, the 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 tools the technology that you, that you guys had at your disposal back in those days compared to your competition. And you said there was three hundred people that worked under that roof there, Holman Moody. Three hundred twenty-seven is what I remember in the card. Uh, Lee Holman actually said we had three hundred seventy-five, but uh, working in that one facility there at the airport at Charlotte, uh, I remember three twenty-seven. When I went there, and when I left, there was 27, and uh, I had to sneak off. John Holman did not want me to go, and Raph Moody, those guys, Raph Moody took me racing with him on USAC cars and, and got me, and then even in the cup, you know, the NASCAR stuff, and I, I started pitting cars, gas, and uh, tuning engines. Uh, you know, those guys gave me the best education. They were the, you know, if you asked about the competition. Chrysler was really an aggressive, good. I always loved the way they wrote the books uh, for the mechanics and the Chrysler. They made them very practical, very easy, and they built the engines were pretty easy, very easy to work on. But I didn't work on a lot of uh, Dodges. I built a couple of you know Chrysler Hemis, but uh, pretty much it was a start off with Chevrolets and Fords. And that's pretty much, uh, I stayed between those two most of my life. But uh, Chrysler poured money, in, Ford poured money into it. We, we were, our budget, uh, it was a lot, it's whatever we needed. The, they would literally bring stuff in by the tractor and trailer loads. We had so much stuff to work with. Uh, uh, I worked on development groups. Uh, we, we, we did single overhead cams, dual overhead cams, all kind of engines. It was a race. I mean, it was a muscle car race. Sixty-seven in you know, Juan Le Mans. I tore the engines down at one when I went to work. It was like my first thing I did, and uh, but uh, it was you know a lot. It was so much going on under one roof. I mean, we built three hundred fifty race engines for like you know the, uh, we had thirty engine guys, Jeez. assembly guys, and we had a huge machine shop, and we had. You know, engine founder Ford, all the, you know, it was, a, it was just wide open. I mean, this probably never been that much racing under two roofs at our place and at the, at what Petty's did. And, uh, you know, but i tell you how competitive it was. It was so competitive that Ford hired Mr. Petty in 1969. And actually, I worked with a guy who built their first engine. They won the only Ford race he ever won back in the day was well, the engine we won that we built there at Home of Moody at Riverside and then after that they built their own engines and never won a, a race a year but the, the, but one thing I learned about the competition you you need, everybody needs competition, everybody you know as much as we like to not have so much some days competition is a very healthy thing and um but the one thing was wrong was we should have never hired Richard Petty because that took the wind out of Chrysler. And, of course, the economics and the fuel crisis was coming on, and Iacocca fired all the racing part of it when he went to Ford, so he shut it down. But it was going to happen. I mean, whoever. I mean, they had to quit spending so much money on muscle cars. But that competition between Chrysler and Ford was awesome. And... You know, it's just—it was nothing like it. It never, probably never will be. Now, what about over at uh, Bud Moore's shop? Now, I had Bud Moore on the radio show. He's a real nice guy and everything. Um, but he was kind of like—was he in competition with you to some extent? And, we, and then, of course, we, the Wood we did Brothers. The factory cars. We did the, all the cars turnkey there, which I didn't work in the car department. But we built all the engines and all the cars. And Bud Moore was one of the factory back four teams. Uh, Junior Johnson, you know, Wood Brothers. Uh, the house car, which David Pearson was driving at the time, Fred Lorenzen had been driving it. Uh, so we had seven factory back deals. So that we built about, I mean, everything. You come pick up the car and take them home and paint them and and put this, you know, bolt the stuff in them and and race them. So uh, so there was a lot of turnkey stuff there out of that whole uh, movie shop. So they basically built cars for the other guys, and then they took everybody, them. In. Yeah, everybody oh, really? got their engines from Home and Moody. Oh, everybody okay. got their cars from Home and Moody. 
Okay. Now, what about on the West Coast? It was uh, was it Bill Strope? Strope. Bill Strope. Strope. Yeah. yeah. Now, how did did you guys work with him, or was he just uh, like the yeah. West yeah, Coast? Yeah, we were. You know, that operation was nothing like what we had. I mean, it wasn't. Oh, really? I mean, we had the biggest thing going on, but uh, you know, but you know, I was I was through their place some, you know, and but uh, over over the years, but uh, you know, home and Moody, Charlotte, North Carolina, was the I mean, it came out, and we'll put everybody out of business. I mean, you still had Harry Hyde, uh, who had the, you know, Chrysler deal with Bobby Isaacs and Buddy Baker. And, you know, they, they, they were very competitive teams. They won races. I mean, they were good because, you know, they were in Charlotte. But, you know, one thing back then, you didn't have all this, uh, swapping notes and cell phones and, you know, you, you show up at the racetrack and you didn't know what the other guy's stuff looked like, and, and it was legal to race. So it was just wide open, you know. And, uh, I mean, you're talking about some of the, the all nighters. Uh, I remember in 69, Daytona 500, they were blowing a lot of engines, and, uh, and I, and I felt like, I felt like I knew why, and of course the engineers disagreed with me. And so Junior Johnson called me and said, "I, I think we're, we're seven days book or something at Riverside." And Junior said, "I want I want this black rod bolt, and the only way they let us do it is if we built an engine." Well, they knew in a few days we couldn't build it, so but I worked uh, straight through, built an engine, fifty hours straight through, got it to Daytona, won Daytona five hundred nineteen sixty nine. I didn't go down by ship to engine. It turns out that they dropped a nut in the, on top of piston, and it was knocking in and the Sunday morning of the race. And uh, so Junior, and this is Junior Johnson, exactly what he always did. He cranked it up, revved that thing wide open, shut it back down, no more knocking. Blew the washer, bolt right, the washer nut right out of it. <laughs> and, and won the race. And so Flossie Johnson Jr. tell those stories about that engine. But I actually worked. I built that engine in 20% of the time that the other guys had time to build engines. I mean, I flat-rated that thing together because they had to go. And there was a big snowstorm. Everything shut down. I worked straight through for 50 hours. Sent that thing to Daytona and won the race. So that, and then I didn't know it. I didn't know until Junior's walked in on Monday morning. Monday morning now, he drove home, and he walked in home with Moody, and he didn't say much, but he he's over by me and handed me a $100 bill, and I like, that was the engine that won a race. <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't know. We didn't have cell phones or new stuff. So was I lucky? No, I just was at the right place at the right time, and I did work my butt off. And have, I ever, have we ever done anything by ourselves? No, we've all had people that help push us around and help us and and do things but uh, certainly without a lot of opportunity and a, and putting a lot of hard work and effort into it I was never was I never outsmarted anybody but I, I thought about it longer than anybody else I guess I worked harder at it but uh, fun stuff I love my life let me ask you a question the 426 Hemi versus the boss 429 engine tell me your thoughts on that in terms of you know which motors and then, of course, the big block Chevrolet. You know, when you get, you guys raced all the all the big big bore engines back in those days. So, g- give us a little bit of a little scenario as far as you know some of the pluses and minuses of the, of the engines. Well, when when I went to work there, we, we came out with the Boss four twenty nine. We had the four twenty seven tunnel port, okay. Mm-hmm. And I worked on those, and then I did a Cobra Jet four twenty eight. Uh, you know, I, I worked in development and ported heads and built that, and we and then they put us. We had two development groups. There was four guys in my group and there's seven in the other group. And so we worked on the Hemi, and we took what Ford had built and disagreed with Ford <laughs> in a good way. And we, we put a lot longer rod in it. We changed it from a full Hemi like the Chrysler to we call it a semi-Hemi, where we wedged in each side of the, the chamber, the hemispherical chamber. And we changed the port drastically, made it a lot smaller, a lot straighter, and we went to the top of the, and we were 75, 60, 75 horsepower better than anything that they'd had. And uh, we started running that. Um, actually, I did, did wood buzz engines for a while, too. And I mean, 
but we started kicking Chrysler's butt with them. <laughs> and, and and I'll tell you what, the engine was superior to them. It really was? It was uh, really, I mean, this thing was lighter. Uh, it had, um, you know, it had the uh, titanium, you know, a dry sump on it. as the first um, dry deck uh, head, sonar head. I mean, this thing was really one of the nicest engines ever, ever built. But it also had to have the right, you know, piston speed and the right stroke, you know, rod angle and rod length and, and size for it to match it up. And so I, I really spent a lot of time with it. But we had, we had great dinos to work with, and we had great opportunity. And, and we built a lot of engines. I mean, you, we, we had so much going on there. You, you could never, never work in a small shop and see that. I mean, you know, we had so much going on. Now, the the big block Chevrolet, what are your thoughts on the big block Chevrolet in terms of, you know, uh, output and performance versus the Boss 429 or the Hemi Chrysler? Well, if you got time for this, I'll tell you how. I'm I'm working at home with Moody. Mm-hmm. They've, they've cut our hours back to, you know, 40 hours. Uh, they're still running, you know, the Wood Brothers and stuff. But anyway, it was really getting, they've cut, well, laid off 300 people, um, giving out pink slips every week. So... I decided everybody's got to find something to do. So I went and I got the service station. Next time, didn't want me to run a car care center for them. So I got that, and uh, and I built a dirt car. This boy that worked for Smoky Unit uh, for four or five years, he and I built a dirt car, a Camaro. And we started winning every every dirt track race we went to. I mean, like, blew them away. And, and I built a, I, I spent a lot of the building in the car myself, but I didn't know anything about it. This, this Bill Roper was teaching me. And uh, he left it to me a lot of times to work all-nighters and stuff on it. And so between how and move that, and then when uh, Charlotte Moe Speedway was, uh, Richard Howard was running that, he said, I was with him and Junior Johnson, and he said, we're in trouble. He said, we have no sponsors. We don't know what we're going to do. We can't give tickets away. We're going to be out of racing if we don't do something. And he had an idea that I thought was terrible, and, and so I spoke up, and I said, you've got to have a Chevrolet. He said, well, there's not a Chevrolet. I said, well, make a Chevrolet. And he said, well, how would you do that? I said, well, we'll build it. And uh, we'll build it in junior shop. And I've got one. I'll take it up there. We'll copy it. And There's a lot of stuff I've learned, coil springs in the rear, which nobody had, and and things like that, and uh, so he said, well, I said, how much money? So we got $40,000, and uh, and so we went to Chevrolet, and Chevrolet gave us four big block Chevrolets in the crate, 427s, and Bob Allman was Junior's engine guy at the time doing most of his stuff, except for that tape on night, and uh, so Bob toured it, went up there, because Hoban had laid him off, and, uh, and so he took the engines apart, and he told Junior, these are school bus engines, they will never work. So Junior called me and says, okay, what do we do now? And I said, I'll see you tomorrow night. So I went up Junior's every night after that, and weekends, or when arrows off, and I took the engines, I took my tools, put air compressor in the shop, I did everything by hand, warmed them up in a crate, no dyno, went to Charlotte, Sat on the pole, was leading the race. Still, you know, with Charlie Glotz back to about two thirds, got a wreck. Some slow car wrecked him or something. But uh, and and literally, I was just telling NASCAR guys that day in 1971, Chevrolet gave us the, the cheapest product they got is you know complete engines in those crates. It, it didn't cost them nothing like what it would because they're a mass manufacturer. Take them apart. Polish your rods, shot paint them. Do you know pretty much? I used the pistons that came out. I used everything. I mean, I couldn't even buy head gaskets for it unless I bought them out of my own pocket. And that year, it didn't cost Junior but a hundred dollars. He paid me, and uh, the time to just less labor. And so, it, so what? My my message today is: if we want to get back to have good racing we need to think current production engines and now currently 
we have some really good engines. I mean, everybody's copied this Ford thing, this chamber-injected thing. So there's a great lineup of engines that we can hot rod and make all the power we want to make today. And in 1971, put an inch and 3-8 restrictor plate on a 427 and a 1-inch plate on a Hemi. Equalized them so well that you could win with Chevrolet. In fact, in 72, we won. We ran first or second 22, 22 races. So, you know, it was a production engine or, you know, a high production engine, not, not you know, mass production. Right. It was a affordable engine. And, and I tell people right now, if we want to, if, if, if NFL wanted football, they would not make it themselves. They would promote it. Why should NASCAR make an engine? Why should Robert Yates build an engine? They've asked me all the time. Build an engine for us. So we're not engine guys. We're we're hot riders. We got great companies: Ford, Chevrolet. Anybody who wants to compete, Chrysler, uh, Toyota. Let let's race production engines and hot rod them and get back to where we take these hundred thousand dollar engines and get them back down to some common sense, so that we can forward to race without four owners or two owners or half of the things going to come into and let's get it back to where the kids can grow up we do this can and engine it's really cheap it's pretty much based on a production engine and that's what we have to get it back to so that we can afford for our kids and our mom and pops to get their kids to training school and then get these things so they can aspire to go run the win the daytona 500 you know or indy or wherever so that's sort of my, that's a long-winded thing. I hope I'm not wearing you guys out. Oh, no, no, you're doing fine. I love my sports, you can tell that. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's great. Well, let me ask you this now. Do you think NASCAR is getting too sophisticated? The There's car- me rules. Okay. I, I call it, I don't like a spec thing. Now, spec could be dirt on it, a spec, or a specified, this is what you got to do. I don't, I'm not crazy about that. They have too many rules, Okay. And they make even rules that they can't even police sometimes, and that gets you in trouble on Tuesday when they have the deal. So uh, they need to – I mean, I love it when, when a check and else finds a gray area that there's not a rule and go go get some advantage, and that's what we should do. And and uh, last week, Richard Childers and his guys were saying, you know, racing's just not the same. I said, I'll tell you what, it's a, it was a beautiful day, and we're sitting in a room there. And I said, listen. I'm wasting my beautiful day. I ain't going to pay the nickel for what I do. But I tell you what, if I could spend all my time and energy, I would try to see that racing is back better than ever been. How can we do that? Give me the ideas. How can we get racing better than it's ever been? I'm full of ideas. I, nobody listens to me, but I am full of ideas why car number two is not as good as car number one. And it goes on down the line like that. I know why, but... I can't get them to understand. Do you think Maybe some of your guys, some of your listeners, might call them up and say, "Hey, you know, you need to, you need to listen to some of some Robert's crazy ideas." <laughs> Absolutely, post a blog or something like that. I, but, I want to go to a race where I don't know what the outcome is going to be, and I want car number the first guy of the pits. I mean, it's great to have a nice pit crew, but if you got front man, car number two is disadvantaged. Uh-huh. And what do you think? They scrape all the air off the ground, they push it all way up in the air, and you can't get number two screwed or hurt. Some so unless you have a super advantage, you know. Do you think that you mentioned it? You kind of alluded to it a second ago, but like for example, next year I know there's a bunch of guys that aren't that uh, won't be racing because they don't have sponsorship money. Do you think that because NASCAR has just gotten so ridiculously expensive now that a lot of sponsors don't see the the you know the uh, the the rewards for it? So hence they're not going to get involved with it, and uh, and that's because NASCAR has just gotten too expensive. So basically, what you're saying is if it if they could bring the cost back down and get it more to a simplified or a simple form of racing, you know, and not so much like you said spec racing, um, that it would it, it would it, it would bring more people back to the sport, and hence sponsors would come back and so forth. Am I making any sense? Yeah. Well, when when I had an opportunity to, well, I had, you know, I had a guy one, you know, I had a race team I'm working on, and we're running good. Davey also winning races, and the, and the owner couldn't stay. And he said, I'll sell it to you. And I bought it from him. Paid him $2 million. And and I only had 750000 after selling my house and everything I owned. And, and he, he 
he uh, financed it to me for, and in one year I had it paid off. And, you know, Robert Yates, who was just a mechanic, who did sell everything he had, but he knew how to build engines. He worked on a pit crew, drove a truck to the racetrack. I mean, he did everything. But 10 of us, we won races and were going for a championship in 93 when Davis got killed. And, and of course, even with Ernie, we were in good. So the, the, what can, can happen now? No, people look at the thing and say, oh, my gosh, if you're a car owner now, you've got to have four teams, and you've got to be supporting other four or 12 teams, and you've got to have 500 CNC machines, or you can't do that. And it discourages the right. I mean, Robert Yates can't race against that now. And I'm not better because I raced 40 years. I don't need it anymore. But I just don't like having – I would not – I don't think anybody would like to have two NFL teams playing each other every week. By the same owner. Wrong. Yeah, by the same owners. I mean, so the rich get richer. And, and somehow or another, the way we could shake it up is get it more affordable. So, you know, the Robert Yates and the Bill Davises and the Ray Abrahams and all these people can have an opportunity to race. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Now, we've got a few minutes left. Let me digress here just for a second. Do you have any collector cars of your own? Are you into the hobby of the sport from a collector's perspective, or are you just kind of like a, um, more just strictly racing kind of oriented? You know, when I quit, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, and and I was a little bit disturbed with life and and my business and and I, and, and the government. I could go on about that. And okay. Like, <laughs> listen, I, you know, I can't hang here. I got to have four teams. We tried to put together a deal with four teams. Louis is one of them. And when that fell apart, then uh, Forrest Mars says, "Okay, if you can't have four teams. You got to quit." And and I quit. And I quit because of the espionage, not engineering teams, not. You know, all the engineers want to know what everybody else is doing. I don't want to know what anybody else is doing. I listen to my own, look at my own tires, look at my own stuff, did my own arrow. I love doing it as a team, not all the teams. And the, I call it espionage. It's not engineering. Right. And I just, I like, it's time for me to get out of here. And and I was, I, and I cried when the Daytona 500 came along in Indy, Indianapolis. I mean, in Charlotte, I mean, some of my so favorite deals. I miss it so much. Some days I, you know, I had to run from it so I could deal with it. And so I said, oh, okay, I'm a, I went out to Barrett Jackson and I bought some old cars, a 37 Packard, a 57 Chevrolet Convertible. I'm going to ride around these cars and just have a good time. And I bought those and they didn't satisfy me worth a flip. So NASCAR called me and Jim France, he called me and said, okay, we have a new car, so we want a new engine. Build us a new engine. So I rode my tractor. I bought some acres up near Junior Johnson's where he used to live. He just moved away from Wilkes County. But and I'd ride my tractor, and i think about everything I wanted to do in the engine. So I'd, I made up some sketches, and I showed Jim France, and he said, all right, I want you to build an engine. And uh, and, and then when I started showing him what it looked like, he like, we've never seen anything like this. And my son said, well, how are you going to put it on the engine stand? <laughs> and uh, it's just all the things I want to do. And, and it met things that he asked to do, you know, the cost and all that. Well, hey, Robert, we're just about out of time, but would you be willing to come on again and tell some more stories with us? Yeah. Okay. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. My special guest this evening was Robert Yates, legendary race car, NASCAR engine builder, and cup car owner. So uh, be sure and tune in next week. In the meantime, I want everybody to drive carefully, stay safe, love your family, and we will catch you next week, and we'll see you at the show. And don't forget the Superboat races, and tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week, Wednesday at 7 p.m.